The scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Psalms, chapter 82, and that's the song we just sang. That was Psalm 82. It's on page 921 of the Bibles in the pews. And um, what we're going to be talking about today is something that, uh, a topic that's addressed quite a bit in Scripture, um, and that's the topic of the poor. Scripture presents us with a very different um, understanding, a different perspective on what poverty is than what we tend to think in our society. Um, we, I don't know, I find, I find that we in our society tend to think of poverty as a, a problem that comes to people um, because they don't take advantage of opportunities that are before them or because they uh, are lazy. Um, other times we think of poverty as a, as a problem of social inequity, a problem of social structures that, that don't allow people to rise up um, in our society. And um, Scripture presents kind of a different perspective about poverty, about the poor. And um, I want to take some time before we dive into Psalm 82 to look at some of those scriptures that talk about poverty. We're going to be looking at some of the Proverbs. And I wrote up this whole list, and I was like, that's way too long. I can't just read that all to them. So I put together a litany, and we're going to be doing that. And it is kind of long, so bear with me. If it's a terrible idea, you can tell me after the service. Um, do we have that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, it'll be sort of a call and response, right? Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. He who despises his neighbor's sins but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a little with righteousness than much gain. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. A poor man pleads for mercy. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. A poor man 
shunned by all his relatives, how much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives riches to the rich, both come to poverty. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show constraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. A ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. A rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment sees through him. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. Let's pray. O Lord our God and our King, all people have this in common, that you give sight to our eyes and that you are our maker. We pray now as we, as we read your word that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to lift up our hearts, and to turn our minds towards you, so that we may be transformed into people who are as generous and as loving as your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. 
Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. That's the end. You don't have to turn the page. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm paints an epic picture of God as the defender of the poor. This psalm envisions God in the midst of the great assembly, which is sort of the law court of the Canaanite gods. It envisions God walking into the middle of this legal session of the Canaanite gods and pronouncing judgment on them because of their failure to stand up for the poor and defend those who have nothing. And I want you to just imagine that for a moment. Imagine it like a scene in a movie. Imagine that all of the gods of the Canaanites are sitting in their heavenly council chamber, doing the things that gods are supposed to do, giving out blessings and pronouncing judgment, trying to run the world. And the Almighty God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bursts in to this council chamber and just starts chewing them out. I sort of imagine it like it's this big round room, like the the gods of the Canaanites are seated in this big round room, and they're all on their big elaborate thrones, and there's these two big double doors in the back, and God just busts through those two big double doors, walks right into the middle of the Canaanite gods' proceedings and just starts yelling at them, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And then God turns to the audience. He turns to us and he says, they know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. The Canaanites claimed that these gods ruled the world, that these gods ran everything, that these gods were in control of the sky and the sea, the sun and the earth, that these gods were in charge of the rise and fall of nations, that they raised up kings and defended their lands against their enemies. These gods were supposed to be in charge of the universe. But in Psalm 82, God walks right into the middle of their little meeting and tells them that They really suck at their job. He walks right into the middle of this Canaanite god's proceedings and and tells them that they're like blind men, stumbling around in the dark while the world falls apart. The Canaanite gods are incompetent. They're unable to rule. They're unable to keep order. God tells the Canaanites how they're supposed to be doing their job. Take care of the poor. Defend those who have nothing punish the wicked, cast down the unjust. But the Canaanite gods aren't able to keep things on track, and as a result, the foundations of the earth crumble. God weighs the Canaanite gods, and he finds them wanting because they don't take care of the poor. And so God pronounces this judgment against them. Although they claim to be gods, they will die just like human beings, They will fall just like every other ruler because they don't take care of the poor. Why this particular concern with the poor? 
Why do we see this coming up over and over again in Scripture? What is it about the poor that merits, that merits God's special protection, God's special attention? I think that we see something of an answer in the Proverbs that we read. It's interesting to me how the Proverbs remind us of just these simple truths. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. A poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Maybe this is something that you know from experience. Maybe it's just a profound but obvious simple truth. It's easy to be friends with a wealthy person because they don't have that many needs. You don't have to really give them anything. The poor are avoided precisely because people don't want to be reminded of the needs that other people have. But God watches over those who have nothing. People who have no one to protect them have no choice but to rely on God for their protection. People who are vulnerable understand that they can't accomplish anything on their own. They need God. They rely on God. And God is faithful in giving that protection. Psalm 82 depicts God as a judge, pronouncing judgment even against the so-called gods who do not care for the poor. And throughout the New Testament, too, as we saw in Pastor Carl's sermon last Sunday, Jesus and the apostles call the followers of Jesus to care for the poor because God cares for the poor. God cares for the poor so much that he sent his son, and the son of God himself became poor. I think that this is something that we tend to forget or overlook. We don't remember, we don't realize, or we don't think about the fact that Jesus was poor. In the New Testament, it's noted that Jesus was the son of a carpenter, a manual laborer. And in Jewish society, carpenters ranked even lower than the poorest farmers because a carpenter didn't have any land, didn't have any security. A carpenter had nothing to pass on to his children as an inheritance. Jesus was born in a barn, in a feeding trough, in a barn. There was no glory for the king of the earth, no riches. He was poor. And so it makes sense then that the followers of Jesus would have a special concern for the poor. The followers of Christ all through the New Testament are constantly reminding the, the newly formed people of God that they have a responsibility to the poor. We see this in the teachings of Jesus too. When we look at the sermons on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus spends an entire chapter, chapter 6, addressing the spiritual disciplines that ought to characterize the people of God. Give to the needy, pray, and fast. These are three life-giving practices that are supposed to characterize God's people. Give, pray, fast. Give to the poor, pray for the poor, fast with the poor because they are the least of these among us. 
An important part of these disciplines for the early Christians was the effect that they had of helping us to realize a bit more of what our brothers and sisters in Christ who do live in poverty and who live under persecution go through. When we give away our money, we understand a little bit what it's like for people who don't have money. When we spend a considerable amount of our time in prayer, we constantly have in our mind those who aren't able to pray for fear of their life. We are constantly reminded of those who fear for their lives when they worship. When we fast, we experience a small taste of the hunger that faces our brothers and sisters in Christ who are imprisoned for their faith, who are persecuted for their faith, or who are denied gainful employment or basic material needs because of their faith. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that by doing these things, by practicing these disciplines, you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Proverbs 23 verses 4 through 5 goes like this. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something similar. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of early Christian writers talk about the poor as the bankers of heaven. We can't take our wealth with us when we die. Jesus is clear on that. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he does sort of say that we can pay it forward. And when we give to the poor, we are making a deposit, storing up our treasures in heaven. And when we fail to care for the poor, the Proverbs tell us, we're really just wasting our time. Better to be righteous and poor than rich and wicked. A number of the Proverbs are variations on that theme. One of the Proverbs, and I don't, I don't think this one was in there. I don't think I put it in there. But one of the Proverbs says that even if a person saves up all of their riches for their whole life and doesn't give anything to the poor, eventually, someone who is righteous will inherit their wealth and will give it all away. And all their work will have been for nothing. That may be one of their children. It may be one of their grandchildren. It may be Jesus Christ himself when he comes back to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom over all the earth. But know this. Our wealth is not our own. We've talked about this for the past few weeks and we'll be talking about it for two more weeks. Our wealth is not our own. It belongs to God, and we will be called to give an account for how we use it. Sometimes the problems of poverty can seem very, very big, and it can be easy to feel helpless or to feel guilty because we don't seem to be able to solve them on our own. But the good news is that we don't really need to worry if we can't solve the problem of poverty on our own. 
God doesn't call us to solve the problem on our own. God simply calls us to do our part, to give of what he has given us, to give as he has given us, to care for those who he cares for, to pray for those who he holds in his heart. There are good Christian men and women all over the world doing little things to work on the problem of poverty, and their work is having an awesome effect on the world as a whole. And the good news is that God is faithful. The psalmist ends Psalm 82 with a cry, Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. And this is the cry of the poor and the persecuted the whole world over. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth. Bring an end to injustice, to violence, to wickedness, to oppression. Bring an end to those who seek their own gain and care nothing for the well-being of others. Bring an end to those who defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked. Bring an end to the so-called gods who stumble about in the darkness while the whole world falls apart. And this is a prayer that we all pray together with our brothers and sisters in Christ who live all their lives in the valley of the shadow of death. And this is a prayer that God will answer. It's a prayer that he has already answered in the work of Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection to show that death and sin have been defeated. He has begun a powerful, world-shaking work that he will bring to completion to bring justice and peace on the earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. O Lord our God and our King, we know that we have been richly blessed in this church and in this nation with a wealth that most of the world will never know. Not only material possessions, but also the blessings of a just government, the freedom to worship you openly, the freedom to speak our minds, and the gift of your holy word in our own native language. We know that many of our brothers and sisters the world over do not have such freedoms. And we cry out with our brothers and our sisters who live in poverty, hunger, unemployment, and persecution. We cry out with them, rise up, O God, and judge the earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, to bring peace on the earth. Amen.